I also we're dating. We're 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 lovers. Um, <laughs> Don't to, to say the audience. That. Yeah. <laughs> um. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Showdown 2023, the same musical theater bracket podcast you love, just with a new name. This year, it's all about Tony performances. My name is Alex Schneidman. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Showdown, an ultimate musical theater bracket for those, you know, who uh, have been following for a couple of years. This week, we have uh, 16 songs to get down to eight songs. We have two uh, former judges, two two uh, veterans of the pod uh, here to get us from those 16 to eight songs. Eddie and Maggie are here. Um, and I'd love for them to introduce themselves. Eddie, say hello. Hi, I'm Eddie. Uh, thank you for uh, inviting me back. Uh, I'm excited to. This is what my my third. I my think third it's your third time. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, thank you. I'm excited to to discuss these Tony performances. Uh, Maggie. Hi, I'm Maggie. I'm also a returning judge. I think this is my second time. Uh, I don't know if I'm officially a judge, but I'm going to assert that I am. <laughs> See, after you do it once, you're official. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, we've had a long path to these 16 songs. Um, it's it, some, some excellent contenders here. Um, we're just going to hop right into it. Uh, for those listening this time, we're just going to go from the top left of the bracket and go down and then move to the top right of the bracket and go down. Um, our first matchup, if that's the case, is between Dream Girls from 1982 and Gypsy from 2008. All right. What say the two? Ah, uh, well, uh, I mean, you know, the funny thing about um, watching a lot of these uh, 20 performances for the first time for me was that um, you get a you get a you get a wide variance in picture quality on YouTube. Oh yeah. Um, uh, the, the the Dream Girls 1982 performance, uh, for instance, uh, was shot on an electric can opener, which was uh, really innovative at the time. Um, but uh, you could still hear everything, which was the important part. And I, uh, I mean, I was pretty floored by it. And I think the only reason um, this, you know, in any other world, both of these would be like big contenders. Um, I mean, because because Patty Lapone's uh, Mama Rose performance makes a whole lot of sense, um, and I guess was just like clearly inevitable. But uh, uh, yeah, I think um, I, I I have I have my my preference set up, and um, uh, I think Dream Girls is the kind of the juggernaut here. Um, uh, but I don't know. What do you think, Maggie? I hate to start from a, a place of agreement uh, in a debate-focused podcast, but I I feel similarly. Again, two pretty iconic performances from two pretty iconic performers, uh, career-defining performances, arguably, definitely for Jennifer Holliday. I think that there is... Th- these are both just wonderful exercises in marveling at breath support and sheer lung yes. capacity. So I just want to shout out the sort of technical prowess that that both are both women are bringing to the table. Um, 
it's interesting that these are both really effective Tony performances because a Tony performance has to serve a sort of marketing purpose. And with both of these performances, you're kind of given away the the big show, mm-hmm. the, the highest moment of the performance, which is interesting thinking about more recent Tony performances that are much more sort of a, a medley of multiple songs mm-hmm. where they're trying to give you a little bit of a sense of the range of flavors within the show, as opposed to giving you the steak. Um, and I, I just think that at the end of the day, Jennifer Holliday's, and I'm telling you, is one of the great performances in musical theater, just that song alone. And I, I think that it's very rare that uh, Patty is going to be uh, losing significantly, but but I, I think that this is, if there's ever a case in which that would make sense, it would be this one. Yeah. Both, both women here... They, they 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 have a lot in common. They both have they both have lungs. Um, uh, maybe they each have a third lung. And uh, there's Very nothing expressive faces. There's nothing more um, there's nothing more captivating than a woman in denial. Uh, and <laughs> that that is also what <laughs> brings these two together magically. Well, <laughs> I, I won't comment. Um, so we're gonna go to vote here. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna to go to votes here. Um, let's just let's just do it. I was gonna say some stuff, but let's just go to votes. Uh, Eddie, you have five votes. I got five votes. Okay. Um, I think what would be fair would be uh, three to Dream Girls and two to Gypsy. That makes sense to me. Uh, Maggie, gonna go a hair further. Four to Dream Girls, one to Gypsy. All right. Um, so uh, this is our least close matchup that we'll be talking about. Um, if you guys had given all five of your bo- your votes both to Gypsy, uh, we actually would have been tied. Um, but mm. since you uh, you guys gave seventy percent of your votes to Dream Girls, the public gave seventy five percent of its votes to Dream Girls. So Dream Girls inevitably advances to the next round where it will go up against one of our next two songs. Matilda, or performances, excuse me. Matilda 2013 versus opening 2011. It's not just for gays anymore. Mm, yes. Um, the cameras get better, Eddie. Who was that? The cameras the do camera, get better. Yeah. It is remarkable. We're in the 2010s. We're in the 2010s. I um It's digital, baby. Yeah, I have seen uh the 2011 opening before. That's one of the few that I have uh you know, um experience prior experience with. Um and I completely forgot about how um poor poor Brooke Shields um uh, ha- ha- goes through what she goes through and, and like in, in, to, to in fairness to brooke shields i i think stephen colbert and um i forget who the i forget who the third celebrity was it's bobby cannavale bobby cannavale I, they, they also were kind of off beat um it, it was just I, I think for me uh as much as i think that that song is hilarious um and like the meat of the song is is fantastic and neil patrick harris is um a, a charming man um i think that um the awkwardness of having the 
um, celebrities in the audience uh, sing along uh, is a little hard for me to get past, uh, especially when um, Ma the Matilda medley is really good in a way that I wasn't expecting. It was just kind of like, um, it's like better School of Rock. Uh, no offense to School of Rock, but um, I, I also... Who is this? Who is this composer lyricist? He's like a, he's like a weird Tim comedian Mitchell. guy, right? Yep. Um, really remarkable uh, lyricism in there. I and it and it was it was clear that it was very much written by a, a British guy for British uh, voices, because uh, um, there was I think attention paid to how like that kind of Cockney accent. Um, sounds so like the 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 syllables and the vowels in their mouths uh made um uh were a part of the musicality in it and i um i was just i was into it um even though even though the i think the a couple of the child actresses uh for matilda um uh make me a little uncomfortable which i think is the point i think matilda's supposed to be a little creepy um the 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 the, the main girl in the beginning specifically um, she just has big eyes, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is a this is a striking uh, child." I'm uncomfortable. I think that inherently, this matchup gets to the difficulty of this entire project, which is that mm -hmm. we're always basically voting based on what our terms, what we see the terms of the debate as. Um, the opening numbers. I mean, you could have an entire bracket of those, uh, probably just sixteen, but. But there, the art of the the Tony opening number presented by a host, especially when you have a host who can do the musical theater thing, which a lot of Tony hosts can't, um, versus a pretty virtuosic medley of greatest hits from a show that is arguably better than it has any right to be. <laughs> Um, the, I, I think that, uh, not just for gays anymore is in, in my opinion, the strongest of all of the opening numbers oh. of all the opening Tony numbers. And I think is the strongest opening Tony number on this bracket. Oh, wow. But I also have significant qualms about it. Again, the 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 pairing of Brooke Shields, Stephen Colbert, and Bobby Cannavale; these three are not created equal, right? Uh, the 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 it just is. I think it it shows the sort of weirdness and the 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 very particular level of fame that comes with being a famous person at the Tonys. This is not the Oscars, right? Um, but I I definitely land on the Matilda side because the show is so sort of weirdly gripping and specific. And I think that that show in all of its, uh, in all of its productions has had a really remarkable ability to harness the awards show environment. Their Olivia Awards performance is also amazing. And whoever is designing that and building the strategy for which songs we're going to do when my hats off to them. I think that they did the, the medley thing very well. I find the sort of strangeness of the children and the weird outfits and the weird hair and the weird faces kind of gripping. That's a, re and, a real edge. Well, and, a and, real edge. and in a way that is really 
honoring of the source material, arguably more than the movie from the 90s. All right, we're going to go to votes here. Um, Eddie. Um, I uh, am probably going to go, I'm going to, yeah, split it three, two again, three to Matilda, two to the uh, 2011 opening. Maggie? I'm going to go with the same, the same split. I feel complicated about, you know, basically not standing up for, for what I do think is the strongest opening number, but Mm -hmm. I think that Matilda just has a, has a resonance uh, in a viewer's experience in a way that's just different. All right. So, um, you guys voted exactly in line with the public. Um, the public, was split precisely 60-40. Uh, you guys were split precisely 6-4. to four. Um, And therefore, Matilda will advance to the next round where it will take on Dreamgirls. Now, moving on to a matchup that has, that has roiled my mind all week. Um, <laughs> this is... This is I think these two songs, opening 2013, Bigger, and Fun Home, Ring of Keys, are my favorite two songs on the bracket, um, mm. and my favorite two performances on the bracket. The votes are incredibly close. Uh, that is what I will tell you. Um, oh, really? Okay. Incredibly close. Okay. So, uh. Let's hear what you guys have to say. Maggie, I you've already said that 2011 was your favorite opening. So I have a sense where you're going here. What do you what do you think? 2011 is my favorite opening. I think also my sense of humor is uh uh specifically targeted by the 2011 performance, but I I do think that Bigger is just a virtuosic sort of technical feat. How can you not like it? I mean, the just from a an integration of the of of the hmm, how am I trying to say this? The goals of the writers, the performers, and the people filming the live show are so perfectly aligned that I think that it really captures a lot of what is great about the form of having the Tony's broadcast on television um the they make such great use of all the different sort of really fun specific visual uh interest of that season and you get you get the kids you get all the circus stuff and it's they just really took advantage of what they had at their disposal um however i think fun home is feet in a different way. It really doubles down on the strategy of selecting one particular song from one particular show and sort of condensing a whole scene into one performance that is a little bit of like a, a snapshot of what that show is doing. Um, and I find the way that it's executed technically on stage, in addition to the fact that it's just an absolutely beautiful song and really gripping and different from what we usually see on stage. Uh, I think that the, the way that they built that performance and the way that they, uh, the way that they shot it and used the camera really uh, effectively through turning around that at that really thrilling moment 
is is just really remarkable and is a performance that has stuck with me since I saw it. Yeah, I um I'm actually really surprised that um it's it's this close just because I assumed that Bigger was the favorite to to just win it all. Uh but I'm also not surprised because I mean they accomplish really different things, right? Um one is obviously a lot of spectacle and like you get to see Jesse Eisenberg give a standing O for the magic of theater. Um, <laughs> and uh, the, the other is just this really um, it's a very like idiosyncratic little, little number, which I think is really appropriate for the source material. And I, what, what really gets me is just that little, that, um, that little device of, her not having the words to describe what she's feeling or thinking and she gets so gets as far as like uh, she looks i feel but you know she's like a little girl growing up in the 70s and she's discovering that she's gay and like so obviously there's no she has no conception for what it is that she's feeling she knows that it's kind of wrong i just think that that's really moving and it's really hard to put that up against you know, put that apple up against this orange that is uh, just undeniably, um, you know, you see the joy in the people's faces in the audience for that. And again, Neil Patrick Harris, I don't know about you guys. I think he's a charming guy. I think he's a really charming dude. Um, uh, and I'm happy he's with us. Now that now that I know that it's a that's a little closer, um, I'm letting um, I, I'm letting uh, the 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 public opinion uh, make me feel better about myself in, um, kind of giving fun home the edge here a bit. What's so brilliant about the direction and so brilliant about her performance is that there's not even a hint of sadness or darkness yeah. in the performance. The, the actual context is kind of shatteringly heartbreaking, but it is such a fun and like warm and optimistic experience that she's having, she's feeling having good feelings. even as she's struggling to find the words. And I think that, you know, of course it's been said so many times, like queer stories are not just sad stories and they're not just death stories. And, and I think that having a story that's based on something that actually happened in real life to have it be this, uh, a moment of discovery and excitement and, and interest even when she's not, even even when she's, you know, we we as viewers understand that she's got a world of hurt and difficulty ahead of her, that there is still so much joy and so much beauty in that moment, I think is really, um, it's just really theatrical and really moving. We're going to vote, okay? Um, I won't say anything else. Eddie. Um. Uh, three to fun home, two to bigger. Four to hunt fun. Four to hunt home. Four to fun home. One to bigger. All right. So, I said that this matchup was incredibly close. It is not our closest matchup. We'll be talking about. Um, Ooh. I know. Um, fun home won this public vote, uh, 51 to 49 percent. Wow. There's an even closer one. Uh, we'll get there. Um, so with you guys giving the majority of your votes to fun home, fun home will advance 
and wow. uh, go go up against uh, one of the songs in our next matchup. But I just uh, I put this matchup on Instagram, and uh, it got the most votes, most responses of oh. any of the matchups that I've put up the entire time we've been doing this. Wow! It was really close on Instagram, um, but the Instagram vote actually ended up determining this one because before the Instagram vote, this vote was tied. Um, so, oh, hmm. so, uh, yeah. And a lot, a lot of very strong opinions, a lot of very strong opinions came in on this one. Um, but alas, fun home advances. I, yes, and I know I you don't seed these, but if you did, I think bigger would have been the, like the number one seed. For I do region. seed them. Uh, bigger oh. is the number one seed for the region. Yeah, I thought so. Um, and uh, I spend a lot of time seeding them. Um, wow. But I, I, in this situation, I needed to take the feedback I was getting from the people I asked to help me seed over how much I love Fun Home. Um, mm. So uh, I ended up putting Fun Home lower than I think I would have put it personally. Mm-hmm. Um so here we are. Oh, our next matchup is between Next to Normal from 2009 and In the Heights from 2008. Uh, some vintage performances, old, four-three mm. aspect ratio. Um, what say you guys? Um, yeah. Uh, so I have never seen Next to Normal. I generally know what it's about. I know some people don't like it um, for, um, you know, um, mental health reasons. I uh, I think it 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 started to perform at a at a very uh, high disadvantage for me early on, just because I did not like the genre it was in. I think I think rock musical theater is um, extremely hard to uh, you know. Sw- move me um and this brand in particular felt very very like musical theater rock to me um and 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 you know because sometimes i feel this way with about like jonathan larson but even he has that sort of like there's a uniqueness to his like lyricism and his stories are so weird and uh like from the heart that you don't mind as much there's just something off about how like how simple the rock lyricism is versus how big and complicated the feelings I think he's trying to get across are and I think it does a disservice to the song I also you know I don't have to explain myself that much I just don't like musical theater rock when you go up against like in the heights um a show that I also um have kind of been like uh, back and forth on just because not, not terribly. I think In the Heights is great, but um, if if I were to choose between all of Lin Manuel Miranda's projects, um, In the Heights doesn't like you know, it, it's it's not as easy as like Hamilton uh, to love for me just because the um, I think there's just like a lot going on in In the Heights. I think he he's, he's like fitting a lot of ideas, and then sometimes the, the sometimes in terms of just like a casual, like musical listen, it can get a bit overwhelming. Uh, but I mean, come on. Uh, it's, it's so fun. And it's, um, you know, as a, 
as a person who's lived in New York for for now six years or so, I um, uh, I can't help but just be really into it. I, I think this one's a pretty easy one for me. Unfortunately, we're a little more aligned uh, this uh, on this recording than we than we have been in. You previous just really want to fight with me on appar- air. Apparently, um, <laughs> I saw the original production of In the Heights on Broadway. I did not see the original production of Next to Normal. But in the Heights was, I think, a very formative theatrical experience for me. So I also am very cognizant of the fact that it's just, it's like kind of a childhood and middle school fave of mine. So, um, and I, and I remember that the the engagement of the audience during ninety six thousand being something that was so just sort of thrilling and exciting. And I had never seen young people so excited by a single song in musical theater um as i had during whatever it was i think it was probably 2010 um uh at in the heights i also i have complicated feelings about next to normal i think that there are some elements of it that really soar and there are some there are just some moments that are really transcendent and really intelligent and incisive about the experience of being, uh, the experience of battling mental illness, whether you yourself or it's someone in your family. Um, and I think that the intensity of the music can really lend itself to that. I just don't really understand why this is the selection of songs that they would choose from next to normal. If this is a marketing ploy, which theoretically it is, maybe they were making more of a best musical pitch of like, this is the real serious show, I guess. But there are so many much more sort of commercially accessible moments in the show that I think that the fundamental issue is that they they didn't double down on the sort of fun sexiness that you could market the show with and get some more butts and seats. All right. We're going to vote. Eddie. I'm going to give it a decisive five to In the Heights. Zero to next to normal. Take Maddie. that, Tom Kitt. I was going to say the same thing, but now you can. Uh, I'm going. To, I'm going to go four in the heights. One next to normal. Um. All right. So, uh, in the heights, smashed next to normal in the public. Uh, it won seventy percent to thirty percent. Um. So. With you guys giving it the majority of your votes, uh, it advances to the next round, thus Good. completing the Elite Eight on the left side of our bracket. Woo! Moving on to the right side of the bracket, we have Spring Awakening 2007 versus Guys and Dolls 2009. Hmm. Uh, this is a good one. I, you know, uh, given what I just said about um, uh, musical theater rock, I, I, I think I always assumed that I didn't like Spring Awakening just because that was the song that a lot of the like uh, when I was doing musical theater in high school, this was a f- this was a favorite to blast on the radio, and I didn't really get it um, back then. And you know, I, I, I thought I guess I thought that this show. Um, was worse in my mind that, but like, I mean, when they showed it, first of all, all those actors, uh, super good, um, and compelling on stage. Um, and 
I I I actually thought that the that the that the kind of like em, like the emo ethos of the music worked really well. Um, I think because you know, uh, pop punk is such uh, an easy layup for musical theater. Just it's so emotional and it's so um, it resonates with people of our generation. Uh, I I was I was really I was really moved by it. I, I did think it was unfortunate that they had to censor themselves. If we're talking about like the Tony performance itself, I think it's uh, it's a detriment to it as a Tony performance that they um, couldn't perform the songs normally. That in comparison to the guys and dolls performance, which like as a Tony performance, uh, talk about a narrative. You know, they have the microphone uh, break up at first um, and you can hear uh, the stage hand uh, going like, oh, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. OK, good. And then you're passing it off um, to like, what is that actor's name again? Titus, uh, uh, yeah, no, it's Titus Burgess. Titus yeah. Burgess. Fantastic. Jesus Christ. I think that the circumstances of the Guys and Dolls performance makes it feel even more sort of like like the underdog and the little engine that could. And I think that it's just a remarkable performance of a song that's easy to make really schlocky. And we've all seen bad <laughs> versions of this song in, you know, countless uh, dinner theaters around around this great nation. And the the fact that this performance is so wonderful and so engaging in addition to the sort of on the ground circumstances of the mics not really working uh makes me just want to root for it even more um i think that the spring awakening performance they were in a really really difficult position just thinking about the context of like bush is still president when <laughs> when spring awakening <laughs> is on broadway right like this is a very different cultural moment and they were really trying to thread a needle of having it be sexy and exciting and uh, and in that sort of marketing way. And I think that they took advantage of their their greatest assets, which is this whole cast of really talented, capable young performers who then all like every single person that, uh, cast has gone on to have a really, really cool, interesting career. Really attractive, all of them. They're very attractive people. And they, and they and they knew that that's what they were selling, right? Oh, yeah. They knew we've got these like hot, talented belters, and they were really trying to build a performance to showcase that. But the limitations of of a Tony performance and the necessary G ratedness, I think, just. I think it limits what Spring Awakening could even do as a Tony performance. Yeah, we're going to vote. We're going to vote. Eddie. All right. Um, I have to give... I, I feel like I got to give at least one point... No, I'm going to give two points to Spring Awakening. Uh, one, because I like the song, and two, because of uh, that one guy who had uh, one of his socks was all the way up to his knees, and the other one was down to his ankle. That's fucked up. Um, so I had to give it to that. Uh, and then three to Guys and Dolls. Maggie? I'm going to sit down and not rock the boat too much, 
by also assigning two to Spring Awakening and three to Guys and Dolls. All right. Uh, so this is the first time you disagreed with the public. Um, mm. the public, the public favored Spring Awakening 68% to 32%. Um, Spring Awakening only needed two of your 10 total votes to, uh, to, for, for the math to math that it would advance. You gave it four. So Spring Awakening advances, um, but guys and dolls, we, we wow. tip our hats and, uh, wow. And acknowledge that it got most of your votes. Now, uh, we have a matchup we're actually not going to talk about, uh, except for maybe a brief, uh, a brief eulogy. Um, but mm. Hamilton beat Waitress so handily that uh, the public vote decided it. It won eighty four percent to sixteen percent. Jesus, um, which I, you know, honestly was not expecting. Um, but, uh, if you guys have any passing thoughts on Waitress in particular, we'll, we'll talk about Hamilton next week. Uh, let's hear them. I think Waitress, they, this is a very smart Tony performance in terms of the way it was conceived and executed. Mm -hmm. They understand this is an adaptation of a not super well-known movie and they understand that, that having a celebrity composer, is a great strategy just marketing wise. And then it is a really beautiful song that is a really, really sort of moving moment in the show performed by two very different performances, but two very different performers in two very different contexts. And so I think that it, it took advantage of the celebrity element well, while not degrading the, the core of the show. I, I remember seeing these Tonys and I remember um, this was before I, I famously love waitress. This is, this is, this is Canon in the, in the um, showdown ultimate musical theater bracket um, uh, uh, story. Um, and I, um, you know, it's just, it was a very unfair thing because I think the Obamas should have said something for all of the uh, best musical nominees. And um, I think, Otherwise, it obviously would have been a much tighter race uh, between Hamilton and um, uh, Waitress, obviously. Yet another guess, instance of the Obamas putting their thumb on the scale. And, you know, you could, you, could, you could quote me on this. I think your listenership is just, you know, a bunch of neoliberals who hate working class women. So I, um, I'm, a little, I'm a little disappointed in this one. But, uh, you know, we, Sarah Bareilles will live on. She is gone, but she used to be ours. Yes, uh, and Eddie, the 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 uh, the diagnosis of my listener base being neoliberals who don't care about working class women is probably more accurate than uh, you you may have implied for it to be. And uh, I'm trying to actively change that. So it does track. It it does. Um, all right, listeners. Moving on, we've got we've got two matchups left. Uh, let's see what happens. Um, the next one is between the color purple, twenty sixteen. A lot of twenty sixteen we're talking about, and uh, Rent, nineteen ninety six. Um, what what say the two? Wow, uh, we we my first Broadway uh, show 
was with with Margaret here, we went and saw, I think it was like a Wednesday matinee. It was indeed. Of the color purple. In the middle of July 2016, I guess it would have been. Yeah, starring one Cynthia Erivo, co-starring one Heather Headley, um, and uh, Danielle Brooks. And let me just tell you, it may have been a Sunday afternoon or a Wednesday afternoon, but it turned into a Sunday afternoon. The, the, this experience was why Broadway is great. So we're we're just going to be color purple stands here for a second. In the in the middle of I'm here, she just went, "I'm beautiful." The song wasn't and, done, and the entire audience jumped to their feet, and we were all clapping. In the middle, and it's screaming. the only time. It's the first and only time that I had ever seen an audience give a standing O in the middle of a song, in the middle of a show. I um, and it didn't feel weird. It felt fully justified. Which I think people have had similar experiences. Uh, those who could recall seeing Dreamgirls on Broadway have have had like a, a similar experience to this. But it's just there was just there is just something that is ineffable about how um, how it, it was maybe the best thing I'd ever seen on a stage. One of the best like works of art I'd ever seen. So I I am. I'm inc- incredibly biased towards the color purple because the color purple is my religion. Um, so this is like religious bias. I think that there's a lot to say for this rent performance as well. Like there, there is, it is unimaginable for us as theater people raised in the post rent era to, to, This was not something that was done on the Tonys, and I think that the the freedom that came in the immediate post-rent era produced so many of the shows that I think were really formative for all of us. Um, I'm thinking just in the late 90s, we had no shortage of amazing, really interesting, provocative works being produced at a commercial scale that wouldn't make sense today. Um, Rent is... I think fundamentally a very theatrical experience. There's a reason that the movie doesn't work, but the filmed uh, whatever 20th anniversary performance uh, is successful. Um, I think that they were making a uh, making a strong bet that the earnestness of season of seasons of love would be really striking to viewers, um, and I'm sure that it really was. I think that for me, it's not as sort of radical or, or striking or so blunt and stark that I have to sit up and pay attention. But I also think that that's my 2023 viewer mind coming in. Um, I think Anthony Rapp would have made a good SpongeBob. You're probably right. I think we should vote. We're going to vote. Okay. Eddie. Five to color purple, baby. Three Maggie. to color purple, two to rent. Okay, so the color purple won this public vote. It won with you guys too. Uh, it won sixty four percent of the public vote, um, and uh, it'll go to the next round. Uh, toodles to rent. Now, if you recall earlier, I said that there was one matchup that was closer than fifty one percent to forty nine percent. It is our next matchup. Remember, decimal points exist. You know, it, 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 I'm not trying to give anything away here, but it is closer than 51% to 49%. It is between Once on this Island from 2018 and Ragtime from 1998. 
Interesting. The, both of these last two matchups have been exactly 20 years apart. Wow. I think that there's, first of all, I, I want to acknowledge that the 2018 Once on this Island performance is so profoundly different from the original Broadway Productions uh, Tony performance. And I think is a great example of how far the industry has come since uh, since the original, whatever, 1990-something performance with that design-wise didn't look great on television and the the optics of it are just incredibly fraught and 90s-ish. Uh, I think that the 2018 performance is really well done. I think that they understand, they really understood what they were trying to get across. They understood how to convey the, the sort of impact of the staging and then having the having two really wonderful, exciting, um, effusive songs, uh, I think really accomplished what they were setting out to do, uh, from a business perspective and they did so really well and took advantage of a really, really strong leading lady, um, and gave her a really great platform to introduce herself to the world. Um, yeah, uh, I love Haley Kilgore. Um, she's great. I, I, I saw this show. Um, I love the setup. The design of it is amazing. I'm actually really happy that they chose this song. Cause I, I distinctly remember this song and, um, I forget their name, the actor's name. Um, uh, Alex Newell, Alex Newell, man, what a performer that one. Uh, they, they, they really knock it out of the park. I think it's super fun, but I mean, come on. I mean, the last time I was here, I spoke, we, we talked about this same ragtime number. Um, and I still think that, and I actually think that the Tony performance, um, I, that that's the first time I'd seen it really staged because I just haven't seen the actual show. I've only listened to it. Um, and the way that they film it, where there is that moment where the camera is just basically doing like a kind of a lateral um, pass through the stage and you see like them all kind of like cross cutting. And there's like kind of this organized chaos of, of all these people, like it's a bustling city. And then you cut, uh, you cut out to this wide and you see the three groups, like in such clear colors, um, moving around. I think it was just so gorgeously staged. Mm -hmm. Um, and the scope of it is just, it, it still floors me. Maggie, do you have anything? Yeah. It's an amazing opening number remarkably well staged and i think that th that is what a great opening number does not to harken back to previous uh to previous editions of this podcast but the this is a this is a this is example a of a really really effective opening number uh sort of trimmed down and shaped really effectively to the constraints of a tony performance uh and you know, gets people excited about a show, but doesn't give away that big moment, which is a, you know, a really risky, uh, a really risky move. Some of the m most successful uh, songs on this bracket are ones that made that really risky move uh, really well. But I think that this is both the, the, the ragtime selecting the opening number is both the safe choice and are really bold and, um, an exciting and visually interesting one, which is why I think that that it's got to be it's got to be ragtime. 
Let's vote. Eddie. I'm going to give it, um, uh, I'm, I'm going to give, let's say, f- uh, four to Ragtime and one to Once on this Island. Huh. Is that mean? Uh, is, that, is that rude? No. No. It's fine. It's fine. Maggie. Okay. I'm going to go three to Ragtime, two to Once on this Island. Okay. Oh, thank God. Oh, my God. This one, this one, <laughs> this one tied. Um, the, 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 there was a tie in the public. It was exactly the same, oh. 50-50. Um, oh. And I, I was really worried that you guys were going to split 3-2 in opposite ways or 4-1 oh. in opposite ways, um, which would have de- meant that I would have to determine it, which oh. is never a position I want to be in. Uh-huh. Um, well, uh, ragtime... Uh, with your seven out of 10 votes advances to the next round, it'll, it'll go up against the color purple. Um, I found it very interesting that this one, this one tied. Um, as I said, this one, this one I didn't end up putting on, on Instagram. As I said, there was that other matchup with bigger and, um, fun home that also tied before I put it on Instagram. So lots of very close matchups, uh, in this round. Um, so that means we've we've got our final eight starting from the top left. Um, we have uh, Dream Girls versus Matilda, uh, Fun Home versus In the Heights. Wow. Um, Spring Awakening versus Hamilton. Whew, okay, and The Color Purple versus Ragtime. This is wow. wow. I I didn't realize where this was going to go, but. Boy, uh, wow. next week we have some some great judges to get us from eight to four. Um, so I'm I'm very excited for that. Um, thank you, Eddie. Thank you, Maggie. Um, now is your opportunity to to plug whatever you have to plug. Um, it can be anything. Um, Eddie, let's start with you. Um, okay. Uh, I you know I'll preface this by saying that um, I I, I always told myself that uh i would be dead before um i ever started an indiegogo so please know that this you know this is difficult for me and i don't want you guys to take um uh take this for granted um uh please uh consider uh contributing to um my indiegogo for for ivy i am i am making a feature film it is happening um, we just, uh, are raising some money for some, uh, uh, initial, uh, startup cash that we need for things like lawyers and LLCs and a casting director. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, look out for, look out for Ivy happening someday, uh, someday soon. Um, but other than that, uh, I just want to say thank you for having us and, uh, you're welcome for another barn burner of a, of, a, of an app. Maggie? I have I have a little bit of a less direct plug, um, but I am always looking for smart people who are asking hard questions about um, the business model of theater. And if anyone is, you know, anyone who's smart who wants to educate me, uh, please send them my way. Uh, my name is Maggie Monahan, <laughs> um, and I will. I'm also now available for uh, strategic consulting projects in the arts and entertainment sector on a, on a project basis. So. 
Oh God, I would, I want to do that. Um, anyway, um, thank you, Eddie. Thank you, Maggie. Uh, this has been great. Uh, to those listening, please, please go vote and uh, let's see when eight becomes four. Thank you and uh, so long. And a happy belated birthday to our host. Happy birthday, Alex.